When something doesn't go your way, you got two choices. You could be bitter or you could be better. So fail forward and be better. Have faith in yourself to make the right decisions as long as your decisions are based on your faith. And then also, just start small, especially a new entrepreneur. Start with those small wins. Try to be organized. Try to get design your business so you're running your business and it's not running you because it's a very vicious cycle when your business runs you. This is the Fit Investor Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Kale Delaney and Brenna Carls. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The Fit Investor. I am your host, Kale Delaney, here with our co-host, Mrs. Brenna, soon to be another hospitable host, Carls. Yes. So look out for that coming up soon. And today, our special guest is Chris Picuro. And Chris is a tax planning and strategy expert for US-based real estate investors and a renowned presenter on the subject. He holds several accreditations, and he's also has past experience as an adjust professor at Baker College, Walsh College, and Davenport University. He's presented at numerous speaking engagements nationwide and internationally. He's also remained an active member of several professional organizations. And he's driven to innovate by his passion for helping taxpayers reduce their taxes paid over their lifetime. And as such, he's a co-founder and executive officer of Integrated CPA Group. Uh, he's also the founder of Teaching Tax Flow and Monthly Recurring Revenue Institute which we'll get into that stuff a little bit more. But with that, Chris, welcome to The Fit Investor. It is an honor to be here. I enjoy being a listener of this podcast. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to talk a little bit about taxes and tax planning today, but more importantly, talk about the entrepreneurial journey, how important fitness, both physical and mental is for any entrepreneur or really anybody. And then also, Faith is a backbone of everything we do. So that's, I'm excited to dive in and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, why don't you just take us back, tell us who Chris is, where did Chris start from and, and how do you get into mm -hmm. being a, a renowned tax expert? As far as being an entrepreneur, I started when I was, gosh, probably about 12 or 13 years old. I grew up in the Detroit area, Mount Clemens which became Clinton Township, Michigan, east, just east of Detroit, northeast a little bit. And as far as getting into real estate, I, I always loved playing Monopoly. Unfortunately, I'm not the best person to play against because I'm a little vicious about it. And even when I was like seven or eight years old, I, was, I had to be the banker. And my cousin, my older cousins, and no one, no one would play with me. Now my kids won't even play with me. But that got me interested in being an entrepreneur in real estate. And then and I want to say 12 or 13 years old. I, I can't remember exactly how old I was. But I got the opportunity to become a paper boy. And back in those days, you two are much younger than me, but back in those days, you would actually drive your bike around and deliver newspapers to people's houses. But the cool, a very cool and interesting thing was, and now I think about, geez, my kids are 14, 13, and 10, so the older two are right in that age group where I was when I first started. And my parents grew up in a Roman Catholic, very strong Roman Catholic household, so they're pretty strict, which I appreciate. And, but they let me have this paper out and I would drive my bike around, deliver all the papers. But the interesting thing was we had to go collect our own money. So I used to have to go to random people's doors, knock on their door. I had my own ledger. I had to collect the money. I had to take my money. I had to go pay the newspaper, Detroit News, their wholesale and price. So if I didn't get paid by my customer, this 12, 13 year old kid was out of the money. So it really was a great lesson. That started me just as an entrepreneur. And then from there, you, if you had a stuffer, so let's say you were, they had an advertisement they put in the paper, you got paid. We got paid one penny per paper. I'll put back then, that was a lot, a lot of money. So that, when I think about the skills that I had to develop, plus it was in Detroit, so you're talking about inclement weather was pretty prominent. Sundays, my mom would, and, and we had to deliver the Sunday paper by about 6.30 in the morning. So on Sundays, the papers were really thick. So my mom would drive me around and we, she had a minivan. My dad worked at Chrysler 
and we'd load up the minivan and I would literally just jog while I was running back to the van, delivering the papers. And those were just fun memories, but I know that's a long story, but that started my entrepreneurial journey. And then I started collecting baseball cards and anything geeky, someone that grew up in the eighties could do, I did it. We're talking Dungeons and Dragons, baseball cards, Monopoly, playing Monopoly, trying to think of my other stuff, but I've, but yeah, so that, that was, that started me being an entrepreneur, collecting the baseball cards, tracking if they went up. I actually, at one point, the baseball card store in our neighborhood went out of business and I somehow convinced my parents to take me up there. I bought their big glass showcase that was lit. That was like a hundred dollars. Somehow I convinced them to let me bring it down to our basement. And I set up a whole baseball card store in our basement. Oh, wow. And I would sell baseball cards to kids of the neighborhood. And that was my first entrance. This is probably, this is 14, then I was going to be 14, 15 years old. My entrance into supply chain, right? Because there was one drug, we call them drug stores in Detroit, but one drug store that had baseball cards. I knew that they got shipped on Tuesdays. Uh, so I would take my newspaper money, buy basically the, the pa- all the packs available at that drug store, and then take them to my house. So most of the kids in my neighborhood couldn't get any baseball, new baseball cards at that time. They'd have to come to me. Sounds pretty sinister, but actually it was pretty cool with supply chain and you know, I couldn't do that forever, but it was just fun. So I, I loved, I had a little baseball card shop in my, gosh, now I'd probably get a 1099 the way things are now. Because people would probably pay me on Venmo, but, <laughs> but yeah, I had that going and that really started my entrepreneurial journey as a very young person. So I just always had a knack for numbers and I really had a love for helping people out. So I didn't, I would say even in high school, I knew that I pretty much knew I wanted to be a CPA at that point in high school. So that was interesting. A couple things that come to mind. So showing my age, which I'm a little younger than you, but when you said Paperboy, <laughs> do you remember Super Nintendo and they had that game Paperboy where you would go, you would take the, do you remember that, Kale? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love that game. And I can't, I even, so they've recreated the Super Nintendo now and all that stuff, but that game still is not, on any, it's not on the switch or whatever it's called. It's not on. So I don't know what happened to that game, but I thought that game was fun. That was a great game. Well, it's hard. It's a great. Mm-hmm. Second thing is Chris, I just had a brilliant idea. I think it's brilliant. Me and you should, create. <laughs> you're welcome to join. We should create a monopoly game that teaches people about 1031 exchanges. They can have four houses on one of the park place or whatever, but then they can, do a 1031 and get two hotels or whatever, but still keep their cash. We should, uh, should get together and do some of that. We could do, yeah, we could do a little course on that. That would be fun. Even I'm talking set about up a monopoly go. board. Thinking, oh, yeah, like, to go, yeah. To go I want to sell here. these to like Hasbro. <laughs> hey, that's how the Rich Dad Company really got started with their cash flow board game, right? That was really what propelled them. Okay. Nobody, okay. That this is, Timestamp podcast so nobody can take our idea. <laughs> I like the 1031 exchange monopoly. The paperboy video game was great because you you would chuck those papers and sometimes it hit someone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it hit someone. Luckily, the paperboy that was before. Yeah, the dog would chase you, or you would you would throw a paper through someone's window and get minus points. Right. Luckily, the paperboy before me was awful, and I guarantee you he doesn't listen to this podcast. What was, what, was your, what was your hit rate? Were you a pretty good shot with the paper? <laughs> my mom made me, so one of the differences is my mom made me take the papers and put them underneath the, or on someone's door doorstep, right next to someone's door, underneath if they had a rug or something. And she also strongly advised me to go to, the first time I went to collect money, to go to every person and ask them where they wanted their paper. Because the other, the person before me just threw them on the, threw them at the, the base of their driveway, which snow, they could be buried in snow, they could be wet. So it's just, and that's actually a really good lesson for business. The newspaper is the product people bought, but how we deliver that product is completely different. Just like friend in the mortgage business, people look at a rate. A rate is just a very small sliver of the whole process and the service they receive from their lender. Yeah. Back then, too, that, like, I feel like as a little kid, like you were talking about supply and demand, but then there's also customer service that comes in. Right. it. so you were like coming up with a whole gig, like 
where do you want your paper? And so then they would hate the little boy or whatever that came after you because he'd just <laughs> thrown it in the ditch. And then they would probably call the paper and be like, we want the guy that comes up to our porch. And then you could go to the paper and be like, look, I need a raise because I'm better than everybody else. This reminds me real quickly. You guys, I'm sure you guys have watched Seinfeld, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, this reminds me, there was an episode where, you know, Newman, who was a, a, a mail delivery guy and postal service guy, uh, <laughs> he was trying to win a trip to, or win a being posted in Hawaii. That was like the every postal guy. <laughs> And he was feeling sick though. And so he couldn't, or no, it was like he had, he had stored all his mail in Jerry's storage locker <laughs> and Jerry got rid of it at long story. Anyway, but anyway, so he wasn't going to deliver the mail. Cause he was like, Oh, I'm never going to win. What's the point. And Jerry was like, I want you out of here. I'll deliver the mail for you. So Jerry went out <laughs> for like two days, delivered the mail and like he did the best job ever. And so Newman <laughs> got a call while Jerry was in his apartment and basically the, his boss was like, sorry, you didn't get the Hawaii post because we know it wasn't you delivering the mail because your route had, did such a good job. We know it wasn't <laughs> you. <laughs> and he's, Jerry, you screwed me. He's hundred percent, hundred percent delivery rate. No postal service guy has ever gotten above 60%. Yeah. <laughs> like you just ruined it for everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another, it's just so growing up in Michigan, even 40 years ago, deposit on any type of pop can or bottle was 10 cents, which is still 10 cents. But think about 40 years ago, 10 cents per bottle or can of pop. So you would make money by driving your bike to like the baseball fields after, and unfortunately people littered or left their stuff out. You can collect a bunch of cans and then you would just take them up to the grocery store and get cash for them. So there's a, so that reminded me of the Seinfeld when (laughs) there's a whole lot of Seinfeld when they, they loaded up the Newman's, Postal truck. So yes, to take all these cans and bottles to Michigan to get the 10 cent deposit. But anyway, I remember that. There's always a way to be entrepreneurial. So yeah. I'd say that really started my entrepreneurial journey in tying it in with that age. My mom I retired from our, our public school system that I where I grew up. She actually worked at the elementary school. She was the first person that did the latchkey program, which when I grew up, I'm 48, so there, there was no daycare. Like, only, typically, it was a traditional household where one parent worked and one parent didn't work. Well, that, that changed, and she started the Lasky program, but I, I was in, went to public school through eighth grade, and I remember I really wanted to go to a private high school, this Catholic, all-guys private high school in Detroit. It's very, to me, challenging, hard to get into, but I remember tying face in. I just remember being a kid, going to church, and seeing these guys with, with the big varsity jackets from, and I was like, man, these guys are like, they're just, just like, they had their stuff together, the way they walked, the way they acted, the way they were respectful to people. I'm like, I want to go to that high school. And the reason I had to give up my paper out is because when I went, I did go and go to that high school, and I ended up having two and a half to three hours of homework at age 35 freshman year. Because I was like a year behind academically. I got into the school, but just the academics, rigors of that school were pretty high at the time and um and, and then i had to give up the paper out this is, i'm actually i'm happy that we're talking about this here because it's i think this is one of the big things that's that society is missing nowadays is these lessons that that we we're able to learn as kids when days passed i think there was a lot more opportunities for learning these types of lessons like you. I think that's awesome. You had to actually go and collect the money for each paper and then with your ledger, then pay the paper and, and do the actual accounting yourself. Mm-hmm. Today, people graduate from college and can't do that. No. That's a common thing, right? That's and true. Like, yeah, and like my son is, plus just the discipline that it teaches you to get up and do the paper route every morning. Like my son's that same age, he's 12. And for like on and off for the past like, year and a half at least he's been trying to do this like car washing thing within the, the community and mm-hmm. uh, like when he actually does it he can make some money and he like tried recruiting some of the neighborhood kids and and getting them to to work in on and whatever i've been trying to tell him and encourage him that look if you actually want to do this number one you got to be consistent with it you can't just say i'll do it once today and then three months later okay now i'll go back out there and try to do it again and you got to actually mm-hmm. go, go knock on every single door. If you really want to make some money and, and try to treat this as a little business, go out there and knock on every single door, right? And 
do that numerous times, like every weekend, go out and knock on doors. And uh, he, he hasn't done it. He's uh, people, not just kids, but I think everybody today now, we're just, we're more used to doing everything on the phone here or on the computer. And we don't want to have any type of human interaction. Having an experience like that, where it teaches you at an early age, the discipline, the accounting, financial literacy at, at a basic level uh, is tremendous. And it's something that's lacking so much in, in today's society. And a friend of mine and I are actually working on something like that for teaching kids financial literacy. Like he's already doing it with some kids uh, from the schools in his area. And I'm come January of next year, I'm going to be doing uh, a series of financial literary literacy classes for uh, high school uh, for my youth group at, at church. So, but anyway, I just think it's so critical and, and such an important lesson. And you see how something as simple as that really set you up for being able to take those skills and grow them and turn them into something successful, which is what you're doing now. So I just think it's critical having kids, especially start learning these skills and these disciplines to really set them up for success. Y'all have kids in like the right. teenage, teenage range. Do they still do, again, showing my age, the only thing I had that when I was young doing was like, remember the magazine sales? I don't know if your, oh. your schools did that, but like, it was the magazine drive. And I remember if I sold like 15 magazines or 25 magazines or whatever it was, I got the bubble blow up chair that I had to have. And I, <laughs> I remember I like my next door neighbor, Chris, I don't know if I ever told you that he was my math teacher. That was rough because I hated math and <laughs> funny enough. And he would always come over when I would not do well on a test, which I hated. But I conned him into uh, buying like seven magazines. But do they still do that? Or is that not a thing anymore since everything's online? They do. They do? They do. But mm -hmm. uh, we're the ones that my kids bring home. Like they actually encourage, I guess it's a sign of the times, whatever. They encourage the kids to post on social media about it or just ask family. They actually encourage them not to oh. go door to door. I can understand like why with, with safety issues these days, but there was a little kid two years ago that came up to my door. He was our neighbor and he was selling Christmas gift wrap and stuff. And I bought all the things from him because I was like, oh yeah, because he was trying to like be really set like professional. And he was like seven years old. And I was like, mm -hmm. <laughs> why are you buying so much stuff? I was like, because he made the effort to come over here. He was like, we don't need three jars of peanut brittle. I'm like, well, we'll just... <laughs> Give them away. <laughs> wrapping paper for mm -hmm. 12 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. At least Christmas wrapping paper is timeless. You can use it yeah. every year. Exactly. Well, I know with the kid, our, my kids have started some good ideas. They haven't done anything as consistent as they need to. One of the things I'm really working on coming up is, especially for my, so my oldest is a really talented at math. And we need, there, there's a need for math tutors in the neighborhood. And I thought that we have a home office. We, we're long story long. We're building a home addition where my office is going to be. And it's going to be a garage apartment. And I'm like, why don't, once that's ready for next year, during Christmas break, one of the things we're going to work on is I'm going to set him up with a Calendly account. He's going to set his hours. He's going to connect his, he likes investing. He's invested in Robinhood and all this cool stuff. We're going to get him set up. I'm like, people, you're going to, you're going to help create packages and he's going to, yeah, so he might not be going door to door, but we can post his link and, and people can book with him. Same with my daughter doing babysitting. You got to make it easy to do business with. So create a little calendar instead of babysitting. Is, it's still who's available. Let me text this person. I text this person. Oh, wait, this person got back to me. So I don't need this person. It's what if you just had an online calendar? Like we do as business people for babysitting, for math tutoring. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's what, that's what I want to do with them. And, I think the, mold, the car detailing, car washing is, especially if you're a coastal area where there's a lot of salt in the air, there's a lot of rain, is a great opportunity for your son. But it, it's more, I feel like a lot of times the kids that age, they need something, they want something, so they want to earn money, so they go home with it, and then they... they Don't want. do that too, though. Right. Like, huh? all of my clients are like, how do we make extra money? And I even made a post, I think you saw it, Chris and Kale. I was like, mm -hmm. look, take your, if your kids want to make money, or heck, even you... Like nobody wants to pick up their dog's poop. Like they just don't. Mm -hmm. So if you go around and you're the one that's able to pick up the literal crap, 
and you can get paid for it in your neighborhood and people are all gung-ho about doing a budget and then it's, or a diet, whatever it may be, working out. It happens for a week and it happens for two weeks and then it's, you can't rely on motivation because you're not always going to be motivated. But then the kids, like kids' minds, they'd rather, I get it. I was like that until I was probably in my mid-20s. So I can't really talk that much about being disciplined as a child. <laughs> I think the one thing that we thinking about this, I try to remember my, and it's not, I didn't make this up, but practice makes habits. Habits make good things happen. Right. And it, and sometimes we get into bad, if you need to get into bad habits, it's hard to stay in the good habits and there could be anything in life. So, yeah. So anyway, so yeah, so I went to this high school, so I went to, it's called DLSL in Warren, Michigan, went to DLSL High School. And my junior year, I took accounting. So it was cool because they had a lot of business courses and I took accounting. And then if you got, did well in accounting, you could take AP accounting. So I've never seen advanced placement accounting in a high school. So my a friend of mine's dad's a CPA and he taught it. He was like the CFO or something of a lumber yard. But he would come in before school and teach us AP accounting. And I, I, there are tons of CPAs that I graduated with that we all, he made it, when you're thinking of accounting, you think of uh, some guy with Coke stains on an old shirt and smells like cigarettes, but that's not really what it is. And, and yeah, at that point, that's your, what I knew. Your, like, where's your visor, that, what is it, that green tinted visor? In <laughs> <laughs> a fanny pack. I know. And I, so you, I wanted, after taking AP accounting, I'm like, okay, I'm going to, and honestly, I didn't see anything new in accounting finance until my junior year of college. It, th these classes were so good. So yeah, so that kind of just got me going into the accounting part of it. And then being an entrepreneur, I just knew I, I wanted to have my own practice, accounting practice. I felt, I feel like I'm more of an entrepreneur than an accountant. And I just knew that was the way that I was going to be able to get to be an entrepreneur and and so far, it's working out. What was so your hardest still, part? Like, lights are still on. What, what's your heart? What was your hardest part? So you did the, I'm assuming you got into advanced placement mm. accounting, and then you went to college to get your degree. What was the hardest mm -hmm. part? Because for me, I, I don't know if you saw last year, but I did the little semester at like the Harvard online thing. And I was like, I want to understand how to keep my books balanced, even though I wasn't the one to keep my books balanced. And I quickly realized that was not for me and I hated it. And I did not understand why somebody was telling me to follow something that somebody put in place in the stone age that people are still following about balancing science. Mm -hmm. And they ask you, tell the class what you thought of this course. And I really wanted to be like, I thought it was stupid. I don't want to follow something that was in the stone age. So anyway, I know the gist about it, but to, for me, it was really hard for, to do the balances, even if they or accounting for, let's say, money that they had gotten for the business that hadn't come in yet, or they had gotten it that for a service that they hadn't done yet. And that was like the hardest part for me. So what was the hardest part for you going mm -hmm. through accounting? What was the part mm -hmm. that you were like, okay, I really have to put my nose to the grindstone on this one? Well, I think for us, because I had really good teachers, and then I ended up going to Michigan State for my undergrad, which is what we're all known for account accounting. Very So the, there's this feeling like if you're good at math, you could be good at accounting. But there, the only math that really translates to accounting is algebra. If you, so if you think about accounting and bookkeeping as algebra, that's, that's what it is. Calculus and I, I didn't, statistics and all that stuff that we have really have nothing to do with it. So understanding that a transaction has to balance and just like an algebraic equation has to balance, that's what helped me out. But there was, there's still parts of accounting that I, still get confused about like bond premiums and how you record bond premiums. Okay. Someone sold a bond for more than the base price of it. But, but yeah, I think that just the taking the CPA exam. Now it's a lot different. When I did it, it was all by hand and you took all four parts in a two day period, which was about 16 hours of tests. Yeah. Now they break it up into four separate parts, but on the flip side, it forced me to, lock it down and, and get very disciplined and said, this is awful and I never want to do it again. So I'm just going to do whatever I have to do to pass this thing. That was challenging. That was really challenging. Yeah. Just understanding that the algebraic equation is really what accounting is. And uh, yeah. your, your actual like entrepreneurial journey, like what, 
Because I think one of one of the things we hear a lot, and frankly, I know I've experienced myself, is there's a lot of there's a lot of unexpected things that come along with being an entrepreneur. A lot of challenges, a lot of difficulties that you know, especially if someone's coming from a W two world or something like that, can just be mm -hmm. really unexpected. So when you started on your entrepreneurial journey and creating your own practice, what were some of the things that maybe you wish you had known beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. Or some of the harder aspects of starting your own business? Mm -hmm. No, that is, and that, so the, I've been in practice for 21 years. The first 10 years I was in practice, although we were profitable, I didn't, I run it, I ran the thing completely the wrong way, in my opinion. I ran it based on me running it and not processes to run it. Processes run in the business, people run the processes. And when I started my practice, I was only 27 years old, so I felt like I had to be super hands-on. I thought that I had a lack of credibility with people, even though I had my CPA and I had my master's. People were like, this guy doesn't know what the heck's going on. And operationally, I had probably the, the biggest lesson is that I had absolutely no client acquisition process. It was if someone wants to work with us and I'm, whatever I'm doing is legal, that's fine. They could own a llama farm, and I've never been to a llama farm in my life, and I would take them on and price it all wrong. I was awesome. So that, that was the first 10 years, and I wanted to grow our practice. And about 10 years into it, I looked around. We had seven offices. I had 28 people on our team. It was this big operation based on me running it and not people. And it was miserable. I missed the first five years of my oldest kids' lives. It was just, yeah, profitable. It was just, what in the world's going on here? This is not, I, I think one of my breaking points was when my daughter, she's 13, was born. And this is now an exaggeration. She's born March 19th. I banged out 23 tax returns when she was, the day she was born. I literally was doing tax returns in the, in the delivery room, my wife, I'm going to have this baby. I closed my computer down. She had the baby. I was right back up. And I'm like, what is, this is awful. This is, so that was probably my biggest lesson is that I didn't set up the processes I needed in place. I just, and then I had some aha moments. And, and at that point I was li still living in the Detroit area. And really, we hit a, hit a reset and said, okay, where do we want to raise our kids? What, what is, what life do, you know, we, as much as there might be obstacles with being so ingrained geographically in the Detroit area and having to practice there, what do we want for ourselves? What, and that's when we, we really looked at the, looked at the United States and fell, like, long story long, I live in Franklin, Tennessee now, fell in love with Franklin, Tennessee, and it took about two years to unravel a lot of stuff, but ended up moving there seven and a half years ago. Also pivoted the business to say, gosh, the, really what people need is tax planning and strategy. Tax preparation is one thing, but that's really a commodity right. that I want to focus a different, so at that point we pivoted the business, focused on, focused on tax explaining a strategy, we ended up divesting like 93% of our client base. So I kept, I'm like, I love real estate. Why am I working on llama farms? Like, what is this? What am I doing here? I only want to work with real estate people that are entrepreneurial. That's, hmm. and, and when you really work in the niche that you love, it's really, as cliche as it sounds, it doesn't sound like work. I, I love talking to clients about what they're doing, their short-term rentals, their flips, their wholesale deals. Now people are getting into obviously subject to, so we're just on the rise, but there's a lot of risk with that. And then figuring out, figuring all that stuff out. I know that was a slight yeah. tangent, but that was a challenge. So then luckily, so then I felt this responsibility, like I have 28 people on our team. I'm not going to, what am I going to do? And luckily there was a few people that were super talented that they went and they started their own tax practices and they each took about 500, 1,000 of the clients and were able to transition them. And I kept literally, it was scary. He kept 6%, I think, of our clients. Yeah. And then went forward. Wow. So there's some golden nuggets in that. Just what you said about the way you were running it the first 10 years and then realizing that you need to have processes running the business and people running the processes and not trying to do everything yourself. And that 
<clears throat> that is, I think the trap that a majority of entrepreneurs, myself included, get into, especially in those beginning years, is you end up doing everything yourself because you think you need to, even though you know that you don't, but you want to have that control, you have that pride and that, that do-it-yourself mentality. I think especially if people in the same, roughly same age range or so that we all are, I think the way we grew up fostered that, that do-it-yourself mentality as well. But yeah, I think that's critical. That's one of the biggest traps that you can fall into as an entrepreneur. And I'm just for me personally, like I'm, <laughs> it, it actually comforts me a little bit. And you said you were running in this process for, or in this manner for the first 10 years. I'm still relatively new in my entrepreneurial journey. And, and honestly, like I get down on myself a lot because mm -hmm. I find myself in that phase. And mm -hmm. I get, of course, a comparison game, you look at other people and they've got teams and this and that. And you're like, ah, gosh, like what the heck? What, why am I not doing that yet? And then I have to take a step back and this is year one for you, Kale. Like this is year one. Have a little mm -hmm. bit of mm -hmm. yourself and know that this is the long game. Like you don't need to be zero to a hundred in, in the first year. Yeah. So it's a conversation I have with myself internally a lot. I was trying to make sure I give myself that grace and understand that Everybody goes through these pay, these phases and these periods in their businesses as they grow and as they develop and as they learn how to operate things in the most efficient manner. So I'm glad you shared that. And then the other real golden nugget was about finding a niche, right? Instead of taking on just anything and everything and finding that it's a complete mess to focusing on a niche for you, the real estate investing realm. And now... Mm -hmm means that's enabled you to really streamline and make efficient and probably more profitable your business since you took on that focus, I imagine. Absolutely. Because once I was able to, one of, one of the things you mentioned in the, kind of the beginning is the MRR Institute, which stands for monthly recurring revenue. So that's where I help coach other accountants that want to focus on tax planning and strategy, want to use, believe in a subscription model because that allows you to it allows you to be creative. Once, once you, and so one of the things I say is boundaries equal freedom a lot of times. Time blocking is important. Get, creating boundaries, especially when you're an entrepreneur, there are no, we, we don't fill their boundaries because there's no separation of church and state with our business. Right. But, but creating boundaries for yourself, that, so I created those boundaries and I transitioned my practice and it made me very creative. And I was okay, now I'm understanding how I can do, create tax planning strategies, work with clients. The other thing to think about is, I think an entrepreneur, and I wear my heart on my sleeve, but we can't get too high and we can't get too low about things. So we're gonna, we're gonna, like, we're gonna hit some. There's always opportunity. So if you're in an industry where, let's say, your realtor and now rates rates are higher and, and more people aren't buying properties, guess what? All the people that kind of jumped in, they're gonna go away. And if you just stick in there, you're gonna still be there. And then the other thing, bring it to faith. My wife and I were in a church small group, and one of the things that one of the lessons or kind of the themes one day that I took away, and I always think about it, is that comparison is the thief of joy. And if we, if we compare ourselves to other people, it really takes our joy away. It's very hard to do. It's very hard to do that, especially with social media when you're like, gosh, this had, you know, oh, gosh, look at this. And then, you know, what this person has this or this person looks like they're doing this and this person's business looks like it's doing this, but just take it away, your own joy and your own. So as long as you're meeting your goals or striving to them, just like our kids, if my child gets a B on a test and I think they didn't study and they should have gotten an A, then I'm disappointed. But if they scrapped and studied, I'm very proud of them. That's all that matters. Try your best. Right. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, just to dig into the faith aspect a bit more then and mm -hmm. Especially in, excuse me, in the tax world where, <laughs> you know, I, I, maybe it's more a perception than a reality and tell mm -hmm. me if it is, but I think there's a lot of probably kind of pressure to push the line, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I'm just curious, being a man of faith, how does that integrate with your business and making sure that you're doing things ethically and you're able to guide your client mm -hmm. on an ethical manner. Yeah, it could be challenging. There is, 
Well, we say we legally and ethically reduce the tax you pay in your lifetime. So that's our goal. There is an ethical part of it. But also we understand that tax laws are written to encourage and discourage certain behavior. And one of our three laws of, of the proprietary system we created called teaching tax flow is that, tax, that like I said, uh, tax agencies are your involuntary business partner. The bottom line is the IRS is your business partner. There's nothing wrong with using the rules laid out there to your advantage. Now, there, there's a difference, just like in, in sports, there, there, if you're winning the game in basketball, you might want to use the play clock if you, or the shot clock. If you're not, you might want to push the envelope. If you're down, you might want to follow the other guy. Is it ethical to follow someone intentionally? If you're not trying to hurt them, it's part of the games, gamesmanship. Now, if I had a client in that example that's out there trying to injure someone and when they said they're just following them, then I would have to talk, wheel them back in a little bit. But yeah, it is, if, if you're ethical, you really never have a, a very difficult decision to make. Now, you've got to execute it. But I don't know if I've had this, I just have this good sense of when something, as long as something is a strategy is legitimate, then then go for it. We talk about investors, real estate investors, a lot of them use cost segregation studies. There's nothing wrong with a cost segregation study. It's an advantage you have as a, in the right circumstance to reduce your taxes significantly. That being said, you can't do your own cost segregation study on a paper napkin. You have to have someone come in and do it in an IRS compliant fashion. If that's done, then I'm really, I'm, I'm happy for it. I'm good with it. But if not, if someone just comes in and slaps some numbers on, on, a, on a piece of paper, then that's not going to be very ethical and compliant. But yeah, you're right. You've got to, but, but ultimately, I think one of the things that I've learned in our client acquisition process is that I'm going to figure that out. I've been doing this for such a long time. I'm going to figure out if someone's way too much, way too out there before we even get in the situation. Just like you might go on a first date and I've been, I'm, in, I'm very happily married for a long time. So you go on that first date and you're like, okay, there's a couple red flags here. Like I like the person, but oh man, it's not going to get any better. Right there. Yeah. So anyway, I know it's an odd answer. I would, and hopefully by the time you, you have such a good relationship with your clients, by the time it gets to the point where those tough decisions are made, you're on the same page. But sometimes a client might say, look, or we'll explain, Hey, here's the advantage of doing this. Like you bought a piece of equipment and, we feel the business use percentage is 75%. The, that seems very reasonable. If you got audited, the IRS might say it's 50%, and we're going to have to provide some support at that point. So stuff like that. Yeah. No, I, I'm just, I was just curious on that. Hey, guys. It's Brenna Carl, CEO and co-founder of The Mortgage Shop. When I'm not spending my time searching for the best pizza in town, working out because of pizza, or fighting sharks as Kale likes to say, I spend my time educating clients on the best investment products that will help them build generational wealth and making sure their loan process is as smooth as warm butter on a piece of toast. Call us today to get started with your investment journey at 800-816-7982 or talk more about pizza. Talk to you soon. And. Maybe, maybe take us back a little bit in, into how your faith journey started. I know you said you, you grew mm -hmm. up in a Roman Catholic household, but let's take us through that. Like when did, when did it, it change from just a head knowledge to a personal relationship with Jesus? Yeah. So obviously I'm yeah, growing up, I would say a lot of things changed when I went to a deal cell. So I had how this is funny you're showing my age. Like we had catechism, we'd go over people's random people's houses after school. You didn't even know. Like you didn't, yeah, it was just a different world. But in my parents, we were we'd always go to church every Sunday. But again, that doesn't necessarily make you a good person or a bad person. That's a habit. So that that's it's a good habit, I think. But then yeah, when I went to the old self for high school, we had religion or faith class all the time and every day. And, and that really helped me understand a lot of the whys. Okay, so we have four Gospels. So we have, and I'm not the most, I haven't memorized the Bible by any means. But just trying to understand what we're doing, what we're, why we're doing what we're doing. Right. And then, just like many people, I went to college. Can't say that I was a regular in the church choir in college. Um, didn't do terrible, but I, I definitely my my faith took a bath as far as a priority wasn't number one anymore. It was more 
school, socializing, to be honest, we got out of whack. And then after college, I was like, yeah, this, this is just, I, I just, whenever I feel like things get out of whack a little bit, I have to, I had a, just in that season, I was like, okay. I always, I always prayed. I always looked for, for guidance through prayer and looked, even if I wasn't going to church all the time at that age. And then just let it trusted, trusted that my, that as long as I'm making decisions that, that I would be proud of that honor my faith, that things are just going to work out. So I think once becoming an adult with my wife and meeting her and I knew I wanted just, just to make sure that I married someone that was, that had the same faith as me, doesn't have to be Catholic, but we're both Christians. We all play for the same team. There's a lot of different sectors there. Um, And her and I just making that important part of our life. And like they say, iron sharpens iron. So we've got, sometimes one of us might get out of whack a little bit, like this prioritize priority wise, and it's good to bring another one in. And then once we start having kids, obviously then it takes it to a whole nother level where you're like, okay, what norms do I want to establish? And then moving from Detroit to Franklin, Tennessee, the, it's a completely different religious climate, which we, we love. It's a great thing. So there's a lot more diversity. There's a lot more non-denominational options. We've made some, so many great friends, and we, we enjoy our church community. We enjoy the people. I had never been to a small group before, before I moved. Cause we just, so that was, that's been amazing. And, but yeah, I would say, the best way to describe it is sometimes we all need that, that reminder. So in our refrigerator at home, I have a, I may put on a little sticky note. And I have to put down faith, family, work, fun. And if let's just make sure that is the order that things go, go in. And just because typically whenever someone wakes up in our house, they usually either get a coffee or water and they're going in the refrigerator. And it's a good message. There. No, it's good. You put like on my refrigerator, drink water, faith, family, or something. It's like I always, <laughs> I never drink enough water, but I've been lately every morning. I've been making myself as soon as I get up, I drink 16 ounces of water. And they say you're supposed to feel better or something. I haven't felt. Gotta get. Uh, you can't see it with the. There we go. You gotta get yeah. your gallon. Oh yeah. That thing is bigger than my like upper body because we were at a conference and I needed to take some ibuprofen or something. I can't remember and. I was like, oh, I need some water. And Kale's like, here you go. And I literally had to grab it like this and try to hold it like a, a small child to take it. I was like, Jesus, how, mm-hmm. do you, how do you carry this around all day? No, thank you. I, I know. I, I got one of those and it's it's nice to have that. But then when you get to my age and you realize you have to go to the bathroom every 20 minutes when you yeah. drink that water. But I just feel your, your face should be really the backbone of what you're doing. When... It's just no matter what your faith is, but for as far as especially being Christian, we are here such a blank on the earth. We are here if you believe in what our job, like with my wife and I, and sometimes again, we like to have fun, sometimes we like to sometimes we get our priorities out of whack, but I'm like our goal is to make keep each other accountable and get to heaven. That's our goal. So we have to so you gotta have that big goal and then the little goals will fall into place. So if you're if we run out of coffee creamer, it's not the end of the world. Maybe for her. But, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, so that's where I think that a lot of business owners need need to just have that faith in ourselves, faith in, in, in your, in a lot of things. And right. I do believe that we're only given the challenges we can handle. And sometimes it's okay to fail forward, and sometimes it's okay to ask for help. And sometimes you just need to lean, just like anything, you get to lean on your faith a little more than other times. But as long as you're making decisions, big decisions in your life based on a good foundation, then I think that's always helpful. That's helped me a lot. There's a lot of, and it's funny because especially at church, Either going, being at church or going for a run, I get like the best ideas I can get about this because my mind's, oh my gosh, okay, that's it. Yes, that's right. That's what you're telling me to do. So anyway. 
so, so speaking of fitness two <clears throat> points though i want to make before you mentioned you just touched on two things that i just told my employees and funny enough like it is when i'm running or when i'm on the stair climber and i need a break i don't know i get my motive i guess i'm motivated while i'm doing that and so i'm like mm-hmm. sitting there typing in my notes section in my phone like of this motivational stuff i want to tell my employees at some point and they make fun of me because they're like how are you doing that on the stair climber and i'm like it's just my time that i can unload and, and get it off my head but mm-hmm. you mentioned okay like what's what are we here for our job is to get to heaven basically and there's so many times that i see okay maybe chris a, a client doesn't choose to go with you and he takes a different CPA and you've worked really hard to get this business or Kale, you're some of your guests or something that you're co-hosting, they're ungrateful or something one day, or my employees, a client decides to go with another lender for a 0.08% difference of an interest rate. I'm like, I've seen so many people's days ruined and just become bitter that week for that one moment. And I'm like, think back five years ago to something that just made you upset one day that wasn't really life altering and you can't because it was just a day in the chapter. Of mm. life. You can't like mm-hmm. remember that. And then the other thing you said, you can fail forward. You can fail at something you hate because Lord knows I've done enough things in my life that I've hated, including waiting tables that I hated and still like mm-hmm. probably failed miserably at. And so it's like you having your idea of like entrepreneurship at a young age, you didn't know really where it was going, but you knew that you loved that. And then you even said, it's not like I love doing tax returns. It's the entrepreneurship of it, of that aspect and getting to meet those people that are entrepreneurs as well through the business. And so I think that's a good point for the listeners to hear. Just because you're doing something like do it, the the reason you're doing it, I don't originate loans because I love looking at tax returns all day. It is like a light bulb went off when you said that. I'm like, yeah, it's the people I get to meet and the people I get to help on their entrepreneurial journey. And so it's really neat for anybody that's listening. Think of, you know, what you're doing, what you feel your talents are at or what you're passionate about and see how you can work that into your daily life. Because like you said, if you love what you're doing, you're not really working, you know, within reason. And so I think that was a a really good point, but I know we're running late on time. You mentioned pickleball before we started recording. (laughs) Oh, I, I, I love tennis. Like I played tennis in high school, um, went to play tennis in college. And then I found out you had to do two a days and I quit because I was like, I'm not doing this. And uh, <laughs> on top of school. And so everybody like the pickleball craze has come back and everybody's, oh, if you love tennis, you'll love this. And I've been trying to get my husband to play with me. And he was like, that's that sounds weird or that's for elderly people. And it, obviously you're not elderly. And we know a lot of people that are young that do it. And I'm like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's like really cool coming back. So can you explain it's... one, what you do for fitness? You said you run pickleball, stuff like mm-hmm. that, but go into a little more of that. And then also I want to hear more about pickleball so I can make my husband listen to this episode so we can go play. Yeah. For, they just need to okay. change. They just need to change the name from pickleball. That just turns so many yeah. people off, including myself. I don't even yeah. want to listen to it just because. Call it smack ball or something. There we go. Call it smack. <laughs> yeah. I... Okay, so with I like to run. I usually like right now. I'm I like to try to do one half marathon a year. So running for me is mental health, and I get a lot. I like listening to podcasts. I like just getting my mind free, especially when I know my I have certain routes that I like to do, and I don't even think about what I'm doing. I'm just gone, and not going as fast as I used to, but at least I'm moving. I like to walk sometimes. I really don't love lifting weights, and I grew up playing baseball and basketball the most. I. Playing basketball, I ended up hurting myself pretty bad. Started playing tennis when I was in my 40s. Played for a year and a half. And then a lot of my friends started playing pickleball. And I'm like, I'm not going to play this sport because that's not real exercise, first of all. And it's, yeah, it's an old person sport. I would say this. The average age of a pickleballer now is 39. And my heart rate and steps is higher playing doubles pickleball than I singles tennis, believe it or not, according to my watch. Doubles. Yeah. Huh. And you will, you will get a ton. So in the beginning, you're not going to be good. But the cool thing with pickleball is that get, you can get good at it quick. It's, there's a social aspect. So if, you love, if, if you're listening and you like playing either, like if you're a tennis player, you're, you're 80% of your skills are going to translate right to pickleball. 
The negative for tennis is you're going to hit balls that are going out because the court's a lot less, lot smaller. But you'll figure that out quick. In our community, we have a Facebook group just for pickleballers. We have over 450 people in that Facebook group. We have a league with 75 men's league where guys had to try out to even get into the league. So this is in there. And I'm not on the, the young side of it anymore. You know, there's guys, there's a guy that's in their early, there's a guy in our league that's 21 that's seriously con- like pursuing a professional career in pickleball. He's got, a, wow. and he's really good. Oh, there's professional. Cool thing with pick- is, there, is that like a thing too? Oh yes. It's gotten pretty big. And with pickleball, it's like golf. I don't golf because I know golf has a handicap, but pickleball, you can get a rating. It's called a duper score, D-U-P-R. And that's how you, when you compete with other people, there's a lot of statistics involved. So if you went and played someone, you beat them, but then they beat this other person, it all affects your score. That's how you get into tournaments and that sort of stuff. So I played my first tournament in Nashville at Lipscomb University a few weeks ago because we are very, so in our neighborhood, we have a lot of very competitive people. So we just beat the heck out of each other. So it was nice to get out of the neighborhood and go play. When I travel down to the golf, like Panama City Beach, here, uh, when I pretty much wherever I travel, I look at a Facebook group and I can go, I can play pickleball with these people immediately. And then you figure out within a game or two, okay, what kind of level you're at and you go play with those people. I don't know. I think that if I re, I did think it wasn't real exercise for a while, but if you, the, the biggest change in pickleball, and I've only been playing a year and a half. But in, in my wife plays with me. We played in a, a couple's a mixed doubles league in Nashville. And it's, it could be fun. It could be serious. If you give it a try, you probably like it. And you can get your competitive juices out. And I usually play at 6 in the morning or 7.30 in the morning. And I'll walk away with about seven to 8,000 steps easy. Heart, high heart rate. Easily. I'll show you. I'll score time. Once you get decent. Any pickleball vendors or suppliers, if you're looking for <laughs> yeah. uh, someone to sponsorship, sponsor, teaching tax flow on that. On <laughs> he just gave you guys, he just title. gave a, a great, great advertisement for pickleball. <laughs> I would say if you own a short-term rental and you have land, build a pickleball court. I'm not kidding you. You could kill it. You could have, think about guys and girls, but a lot of women play. Guys go on hunting trips, golf trips. I have several. If, I, if there was two pickleball courts in a nice big house, I would get seven other guys and we'd do a pickleball trip. We don't need anything else. We would just play round robins and enjoy it. So. To make. so I think like, I'm going to look at my beach house because I've got a little bit of land behind the beach house. Can I write that off somehow on a tax return? <laughs> yeah, it's a land improvement. So it's yeah. probably a 15-year asset. I would say one thing, Kale, I know you're athletic. The difference now is and I agree with, with the mature age people. Athletes now are playing pickleball. The guys that got one guy in my league was a major league baseball pitcher. Most people that I play with were either at least at a minimum varsity level high school athletes. Most of them probably played something in college. It might not be pickleball because it didn't exist, but they may have ran track and they have played basketball. Well, no, I so think athletes are getting out there and it's fun. I think it's becoming the, like you said, I think it is gaining the popularity more and more so because of the social aspect, similar to the way that golf is, right? So golf has a big social aspect to it, really more so than the game portion of it itself. And at least from what I hear and understand, it sounds like that's similar with the way that pickleball is. It's got the big social aspect to it. And then, yeah, of course, if you want to be serious about it, you can be serious about it, but more so it's about the social part and, and that type of so thing. I think that's the part that freaks me out though, because I'm an introvert by nature and I've been like, so there's pickleball. Okay. So here at the apartment in Texas, we've got the community center literally right across the road and we walk there and mm-hmm. work out, which I love. And they've got pickleball and it's every morning on Saturdays at 8 30, 10 30 or something like that. And I'm like, Oh, I'm going to go. And then I'm like, I don't know anybody. I don't want to go and be like, Hey, I don't know how to play. I don't know anybody. I hate that awkward. It's all, it's like church too. And Y'all might frown upon mm-hmm. me saying this, but I hate Kale. I envy you when you ever go anywhere, you try out a new church. I will not because I don't want to walk in and be like, oh, they, oh, she's new. And they like flock to you like oh. fleas and want to make you feel welcome. And then they like, <laughs> I can give you, I can give you a funny little story. <laughs> but are they like pretty welcoming when you go to these different places that you don't know, Chris? Absolutely. Because you just you take your, you get some paddles and you just tell them you're a new player. And if, it, yeah. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I'll give you put your mind at ease. 
if you're worried about someone being too competitive, they're not where you're going to go. I'm pretty competitive. I'll try to beat whoever I play, but I'm talking about just like that initial interaction. Right, right. What I'm saying is once you get competitive and find your group, then you will find them. But if you just show up for a pickup pickleball, if you show up for a pickup pickleball somewhere, no one's going to get upset. The, the okay. people, like my really competitive matches, we already have our four, we're not playing pickup. We have a court reserve, four people, and we're going to beat the heck out of each other for an hour and a half. It took me a year to get to that point, but if you just go play pickup, like I did whenever I go visit and whenever I go anywhere, then you'll figure in the most places that a pickup will, ha- they'll tell you what level. So beginner, intermediate, advanced. So just go to the beginner. Right. And one thing about golf too, I just like pickleball only takes 10 or 12 minutes per game. So that's basically one hole of golf is one match. Yeah. So I'll have to in, give it a try. Unlike golf. You, you, yeah. you convinced me, Chris. You convinced me. I'm going to, I'm going to give it a try. I'm already convinced. I'm just, I need to convince my husband because <laughs> I don't want to go alone by myself for the first time. But. Yeah. But Brenna, just that you were mentioning going to churches, wherever you are, just real quick story here before we wrap it up. And when we were at the the event in Austin there, I found a, a church and you know, it was very, it was a good service, but it was very traditional type service. And towards the end, they did the, uh, you know, call for communion. <laughs> and so they, they had some people started getting up and, and going up to the front where they had all the, the bread and the wine and everything. And so I thought that was the invitation for everybody to go oh, up no. and take communion. And it was like this line of these, like a handful of these sweet old ladies and I was then just then me <laughs> and I'm just standing there like, waiting for it to start and and then after a few minutes of me just standing there then the pastor's like, okay so now these ladies they're going to pass out to everybody so I'm like oh oh I, <laughs> this is for oh memory. my goodness <laughs> oh. Then I, I go awkwardly sit back down in the pew and, and wait <laughs> When they're always like, anybody's first time here, raise your hand. And I'm like, the funny yeah. thing is, is that, of course, after the service was over, the pastor immediately came over. He's you're new here, aren't you? I'm like, no, I'm not, yeah. I, I try to not be seen. And people are like, raise your hand. I'm like, I'm not raising my hand to save my life. Like <laughs> literally not saving my life. I'm just listening. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> That's it. I actually, I like going to different churches when I'm on vacation or traveling. I, 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 I hide in the back. I hide in the back and I don't confess that I'm the first person. Then I go to confess that I lied. We went to, I'll finish it. We went to, we go to Panama. We have a short-term rental in Panama City Beach. And we go there quite a bit. And we found a place called Worship on the Water. It's at 8.30. It is, it's at a restaurant, a popular restaurant. And it's just completely different than what we're used to at home. And it is, our whole family loves it. You're looking out on the golf. The pastor's really, it's at Sharky's. Okay. I know where that's at. Yeah. 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 I enjoy that and too. They, you get different experiences, like out in the Smokies. There's been some great places I found out there, like where they've had these amazing, like children, not choir, but the children playing instruments and these amazing violin playing kids. And I'm just like, my gosh, this is incredible. What like, am I doing with my life? So I know <laughs> like we're running on time. Chris, I want you to, because we, we, we said teaching tax flow a few times in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give my short version of, of, what it is for our listeners that are short-term rental owners or uh, long-term rental owners. So Chris came up with this cool thing where teaching tax flow, you can sign up like a subscription based where you can go in and he teaches you like there's little videos that are easy to understand. And he puts diagrams up, which if it's easy for me to understand, then I know it's easy for everybody else to understand. And it keeps your attention. For example, guys, 1031 exchange, or not a 1031 exchange, sorry, a cost segregation, it, he'll tell you what's the easiest rule to pass to do that, how to qualify for it, material participation hours, and like it teaches you everything, and it even gives you the, the, the grids of what rules to pass, what are the easiest. If this is yes, the answer is yes, then you go here. If that answer is no, you go here. And it's really helpful to understand, and people are like, well, why do I need to know that? Because I've had a wrong CPA in the past, and a wrong CPA can cost you sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, like not even joking. The way my previous tax return was filed, I was, Chris had to redo the whole thing. And the way it was filed, it was one box that was checked incorrectly that was determined. I think it was like a couple hundred thousand difference. And 
So you want to be equipped with knowing what the heck you're getting into, why you're doing it. Somebody's, oh, I want to do cost segregation. I'm like, do you know what it is? Not, like, no, I just, I know I get money back. I'm like, no, it's like you have to be educated. <laughs> your one CPA just can't do a cost segregation for you. I've heard some people are like, oh yeah, they say that they can do a cost segregation, but then they came back after six months and said they couldn't. And you just want to be, if you're going to be a business owner and be in this business, you need to know all aspects, a little bit of all aspects of the business to be dangerous and to know that your CPA knows what the heck they're doing. Or if they don't do a cost segregation, they have a reputable person on their team or somebody they can recommend to go to. And I'll let Chris explain all the other courses. I'm just giving you the tidbits of information that my clients find useful and of course, he's got so many other courses that are on different topics for tax returns, mm -hmm. but that's basically what it is in a nutshell. And it teaches you guys an easy way of basically being your own advocate when you are filing your tax returns to make sure your money is working for your money, basically. Correct. Since this is the fit investor, what teaching tax flow is, it's, it's Peloton for tax planning and strategies, right? You can do it yourself you can just get a bike and you don't have to pay a personal trainer and you can just absorb things in in, in what i would call in the self-educating or do-it-yourself model or you can there's a you could pay a little bit of money and get some premium content and then or you can get some more one-to-one -one help but here's the situation with teaching tax flow i remember that first 10 years of my career i was turn and burn doing tax returns then started focusing on tax planning and strategies. And what I was doing and, and our team was doing was working. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just like doing what made sense to me. And I'm like, why is this working? Why are the results good? Why do people love it? Oh, and then when I was out for a run, literally by eight years ago, I was out for a run. I'm like, my business, my clients are real estate investors. They understand cash flow and business owners. But I'm always talking about the tax ramifications of their decisions. Tax flow is the tax burden or benefit of all your decisions, the after-tax effect of a, a financial decision. I want to teach people this. Teaching, that was teaching tax flow was born. And the bottom line is, if you're listening to this, you have to understand that you either pick your tax or the IRS picks your tax. Probably the best example would be, let's assume you were going to build something with, with Legos, right? And you just, I said, okay, we'll just build a house. And you just start building, you really didn't look at the Legos. You might build something that's livable or looks like a house versus, hey, I'm gonna give you a set of Legos in a box with instructions and you have all the stickers and you have exactly the amount of Legos you need, not more, not less, to build the house that you wanna look at. And that's the difference. Too many people are just trying to build a house that they want without any of this. Now, most guys, we wouldn't read the instructions anyway. But the thing is, we would, we would, that's the difference between taking control of your taxes, tax planning and strategy. And so with teaching tax flow, it allows many of the underserved and unserved taxpayers. Doesn't mean you're impoverished. It just means your accountant, your CPA doesn't engage in tax planning. Only about 19% of CPAs even lead with tax planning and strategy, according to Intuit. So this is an empowering opportunity for people to, to get that knowledge and understand the process of tax planning. Like you said, Brian, a cost segregation study. It sounds cool in a chat room, but with teaching tax flow, we teach people, one, how to figure out what their situation is, how to figure out what their marginal tax rate is, how to diagnose themselves based on that marginal tax rate, how to look at different tax opportunities, tax planning opportunities based on that, then how to make sure it makes sense for them, and then how to implement. So that's the strategy of just like when you buy a house, you don't knock on someone's door one day and move your stuff in, right? You have to get your finances order. You have to pre-qualify or you have, you have to, then you have to put an offer in and the offer gets accepted. And then you have an inspection and then you have a closing and then you get the keys. Too many times people want just think taxes, tax preparation, tax planning are the same thing. And they just have the keys and there's nothing they can do to empower themselves. So teaching tax flow will allow you to do that. Absolutely. It's, I think it's a great thing. So just to to wrap things up here, Chris, we'd like to ask our, our guests to give our, or leave our audience with three actionable or practical tips based on what we've talked about today. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first one would be, we talked about 
I wrote this down, get it when you get bit, like being bitter about it, something doesn't go your way. So one of the things I always try to tell my kids and teach myself is when something doesn't go your way, you got two choices. You could be bitter or you could be better. So fail forward and be better. Two, have faith in yourself to make the right decisions as long as your decisions are based on your faith. And then also, three, just start small, especially a new entrepreneur. Start with those small wins. Try to be organized. Try to get design your business so you're running your business and it's not running you because it's a very vicious cycle when your business runs you. And if most of us have been there if that happens. And really be organized with your time. Be, use time blocking and make sure you walk in every day with the first three things that you're going to accomplish that day written down. And hopefully the first thing's a hard thing that you really don't want to do. It could be that email you don't want to return. It could be that task you don't want to do. But if you do that, followed by the next two easy tasks, your day's off flying high. Yeah. Nice. Great. Brenna? Oh, yeah. I forgot. I haven't done that in the last. The last episode was different. But, okay. What's your favorite pizza from where and why? Favorite type of pizza from where and why? Oh, gosh. Okay. Meat Lovers from Pizza Popolis, which is in downtown Detroit, where I took my wife on our first date. All right. I have to go there. I go to, how far is that from Pontiac? Pretty close. Somewhat close. Yeah. Yeah. Pontiac to downtown Detroit. You can get there in a half hour, most likely. If you're, I know when you went. Yeah. I have to go. There's other pizza pop. Yeah. When I do that, I'll I'll text you and get the name of that again so I can go there. Nice. Why do you like it though? Really quick. (laughs) Because it's truly, it's like a pie. One one piece is, it's just, it's heavenly. Okay. I can't eat. It, it's like I don't I'm not a foodie I, I have the palate of an eight-year-old I make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for dinner or have cereal and I'm happy but something about pizza populace it's just good yep, have to right. try it. fair enough Chris <clears throat> we thank you very much for for your time today and if people want to find out more about you or the teaching tax flow what's what are the best ways to reach out to mm-hmm. you to find out more Thanks again for having me. Again, I really appreciate it. I have a unique last name, so if you look me up on LinkedIn and connect, I'm happy to connect. We also have a private Facebook group for Teaching Tax Flow called Defeating Taxes. Just If you go to defeatingtaxes.com, it'll take you to the private Facebook group. We fish and swim and live in there. From there, you're going to see a lot of great content, and those are probably the best two things. If you're a real estate investor and you're interested in working with us, it's just www.realestatecpa.guru. And that's it. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much. And guys, take a listen. If you have questions on taxes, be sure to join that Facebook group and you can reach out, just like you said, to sign up with them and their team for some tax strategy. So thank you again, Chris. Really appreciate your time and your insights. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of The Fit Investor. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys.